Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when we were pa- you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need for you. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. It's just so great to be preaching off the back of that powerful expression of the body empowered by the Spirit. It's just amazing to see what John and Liz and the team are doing and uh, how the Lord is strengthening the body and reconciling people to the body. And uh, it's an amazing picture, really, of our series, which we're calling Everyone Gets to Play. You know, I don't know if you have dreamed ever of being... A superhero, uh, Spider-Man or Wonder Woman or whatever, you know, flying, cape flapping in the breeze, bashing through concrete walls to rescue uh, victims in distress. And I, I, I think, you know, that, that's a fun thing and we might dream of being a rock star or a sports hero, etc. But when we bring the superhero idea into the church, we get in trouble. Uh, because we expect one man or woman of power for the hour to stand up on the platform and dispense God's power and gifts and word and revelation. And it's like we're all drinking from one tap, one faucet. 
and expecting them to give us everything that we, we need. And actually, that's not what the Lord had in mind for His church. The Lord had in mind a body made up of many body parts that is empowered by the Spirit, full of gifts of the Spirit that enables the body to function and to grow. And that is what John Wimber, who founded the vineyard probably four decades ago, had in mind when he coined the phrase, everyone gets to play. He had in mind ordinary people doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he had in mind that actually the action wouldn't all happen up on the platform from behind the mic and behind the pulpit. We believe in called, gifted, qualified leaders. And it's not like open mic night here. It's not just anyone gets on the platform. But actually what God has in mind is that the action happens off the platform, all across the room, through to the lobby, through to the car park, through to the children's ministry, upstairs where the youth meet, and out into backyards and boardroom tables, across coffee shop tables, ordinary people doing the work of ministry in extraordinary ways. And that's why we had the scripture read from down there as kind of a dramatic, we're not gonna do that necessarily every week, but a dramatic picture of what God wants. He wants a multiplying of the saints equipped for works of ministry, amen? And Camp Agape is an amazing example of that. We probably have more volunteers in one weekend serving at that than any other weekend. But it's not just about Camp Agape. It's week in and week out. What does that look like? What does that look like? I'm gonna take Wimber's idea of everyone gets to play and uh, really preach it through the lens of 1 Corinthians uh, 12 if we can get the design up again. The idea is that there's no fans just sitting up in the bleachers watching the experts play down there. Uh, if you're a fan, you're just like, well, they're gonna do it and we'll cheer if they do well and jeer if they don't. But actually everyone off the bleachers, everyone off the bench and playing on the field. That's what God has in mind when He talks about the gifts of the Spirit. And I know for many of you, that's an uncomfortable thing. Even like, well, do they exist today? And if so, why? I'm gonna try and answer some of the questions. We've got about three weeks for this series. Uh, but I really trust that in the words of Ted Lasso, taking on a challenge is a lot like riding a horse. If you're comfortable while you're doing it, you're probably doing it wrong. I, I, this is a bit of a John Wimber, Ted Lasso mashup right now. Um, but, but I wanna try and play coach and encourager and help you to get over your fear of discomfort because the gifts of the Spirit do have a discomfort factor. But if a, if a thing's worth doing, it's worth embracing uh, the discomfort. And, and my hope is, is that over the next three weeks that we see some action on the stage for sure, but actually the action happens amongst you in this across the room, out into the lobby and out into the world. You, you up for it? You up for it? The front row's up for it. How about the back row? Yeah? You guys have to be up for it. You paid to be up for it. I wanna say, um, first up what we see from this passage, beautiful passage, confusing passage, but, but rich, and we're gonna hang out here, is 
if we're talking about everyone gets to play and, 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 and the big game plan of the gifts of the Spirit, what are they for? They are ultimately for making Jesus the superhero. The gifts of the Spirit are not trophies to display on a cabinet. They're not like a Superman badge. Oh, that guy's so gifted. That woman's so gifted. I wanna say like in the church, we get so impressed by gifted people. They're so gifted. I wanna say God is not impressed by your gifting because He gave you your gifting. And we should be less impressed about it and realize that the gifts of the Spirit are ultimately to make Jesus the hero. And to be totally honest, the Corinthian church that the Apostle Paul was writing to, it was an absolute dumpster fire. It was a dysfunctional church. They were powerful in the gifts of the Spirit, but they were actually very carnal. They weren't spiritual. And that's why Paul begins by saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And actually that word spiritual gift is more than spiritual gift. It's actually spirituality. He was like, about being spiritual, I don't want you to be uninformed. It's not just about praying in tongues. It's not just about laying your hands on the sick. It's much more than that. And he carries on to say, no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed and no one says Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the reason for the, spir the spiritual gifts is so that people say Jesus is Lord. It's to make Jesus the hero. Not, not to make a hero of anyone else. And what had happened in this Corinthian church, I mean, they were so dysfunctional. People were getting drunk at the communion table. One guy was sleeping with his mother-in-law. People were suing each other. There were factions and divisions around their favorite superhero preacher. And Paul had to say, hey, don't make a superhero out of me. Don't make a superhero out of Apollos or Peter. Make a superhero out of Jesus. He's the only one safe to make a hero out of. And I would just say again, please let's be careful that both in here and outside, we, we don't make a hero of so-called powerful people. I don't know who your favorite preacher is, whether it's T.D. Jakes or Tim Keller or Christine Kane. I don't know who it is. Great people, celebrate those people. John Mark Comer, Francis Chan. I don't know who it is, but don't make a hero of those people just because they're gifted. The reason that the Spirit comes is so that we make Jesus Lord. And he goes on in verse two, he says, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. In other words, when you didn't have the Spirit of God, you made idols out of created things. You worshiped them. But he says, now that you have the Spirit of God, you won't do that. You won't be led astray to make an idol out of a created thing, whether that idol is a superhero preacher or otherwise superhero rock star or otherwise even a car or a job or a person you love. You won't make an idol out of them. They won't be number one in your life. Jesus will. And I just wanna say that is the aim, the ultimate aim for the spiritual gifts, that, that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus gets to t call the shots in our life. And that happens with the spiritual gifts. I mean, it's great, it's fun, it's surprising, it's exciting, but sometimes it's real challenging because Jesus comes and He says, hey, that thing has become your idol. That thing has become your cause and your Lord and I wanna be Lord. I've been working with uh, a church not too far from here and there's been a lot of kind of messy stuff happened and some decisions that have made people really angry in the church and so, hundreds of people have left 
and they're so angry that they've actually sued the church. And I just wanna say, oh man, it's, it's been horrible, it's been messy, and the people that have left, they've, they've, they've got a reason in some ways, but it's been so sad, and I've been pleading with them, actually writing letters to them, try and get together and say, don't be like the Corinthians, you know, get a wise judge in and someone to mediate, etc. And But these guys were just like, no, we're gonna see justice, you know? And I just wanna say, man, a lawsuit in a church, no one wins except the lawyers, trust me. And uh, so I'm pleading and, and, and it's not happening. <laughs> And then the one guy who's like a real leader in the lawsuit, he has a dream. And in the dream, he's fighting with his next door neighbor over a dog that's gone rabid. And he is planning to kill the dog. And it's just going really bad because the dog has got rabid. And in it, in this dream, God says to him, you mind your own business and let me take care of mine. And he wakes up and he's like, this is not about my neighbor. This is about the lawsuit. And he calls his buddies and he says, guys, I'm out of the lawsuit. I'm minding my own business. Jesus must be Lord here, not me. And he calls me, he says, hey, God has spoken. I'm, I'm out of the lawsuit. I was just like, oh, that's why the spiritual gifts are powerful. Because actually suddenly a guy goes, Jesus is Lord, amen? And he actually does something that he doesn't want, but actually allows Jesus to be Lord. So that is, is firstly, that's, that's the aim of the spiritual gift. The second thing we see, and so, man, whether we prophesy or whether we pray and see someone get healed or have a word of knowledge, it's all good stuff, but let's, let's be like about team Jesus winning, amen? Let's, let's, let's not be about my team. Or, I mean, remember me, this is, this is my thing. You know when someone scores a goal in soccer, and sometimes like they run to the crowd and they go like this, oh, my name, remember my name. And you just go like, oh man, this guy's got on an ego trip, you know? We're a little bit like that in, in, in church. But actually the best is when someone scores a goal and they grab the, the team badge and they go like this, remember the team. And I'm just saying like, can we be like that? Can we be less focused on our name on the back of the shirt and much more focused on Jesus' name, amen? I think a church that does that enjoys long, long outpourings of the Spirit because no one needs to get the credit. And then secondly, the big idea here is that Jesus wants everybody to learn to use the gifts of the Spirit for the common good. He says, verse four, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. Varieties of activities, but as the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Can you say all? In everyone. And then he says, and to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Say to each one. I'm saying that because I want to try and debunk the idea that the gifts of the Spirit that are listed here, gifts of healing and faith and miracles and prophecy, distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues in, in two weeks time, we'll di dive more into what they are and how they work. But for now, I just want you to see that to each one, like there's no one that qualified to get the gifts of the Spirit because they were super good, to each one. You remember Jesus when He stands up in John 7 and, and, and He cries out in a loud voice, if anyone is thirsty, 
Let him come drink of me. And if you believe in me, rivers of living water will spring up to eternal life. And John says, and he was talking about the Holy Spirit who would be poured out. And the Apostle Paul pings off that same John 7 and he says, we were all given one spirit to drink. He's wanting us to remember the words of Jesus. In other words, what qualifies you and I to drink from the Spirit? What is it? Shout it out. Belief in Jesus. That's all. The only thing that qualifies you to drink of the Spirit is belief in Jesus. If anyone believes in me, Jesus doesn't say if anyone behaves and doesn't do anything wrong, you'll drink of me. If anyone believes, say believes. So what qualifies you not just to drink of the Spirit, but now to dispense the water of the Spirit to other thirsty people through the gifts of the Spirit? What is it? Belief. Same thing that saved you is the thing that qualifies you to dispense the water of the Spirit. So please stop disqualifying yourself. You might have been saved for a week. You might be struggling with some repetitive sin. It does not disqualify you in, a, in actual fact the more you take your eyes off yourself and go, Holy Spirit, I drink of you and now I wanna share with others who are thirsty. Actually, the more you break out of cycles of sin because you're no longer fixated with your own issues. To each one is given. And then it says, to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. I, I, I love that, that manifestation. The manifestation of the Spirit essentially is just that the Spirit and His presence and power is given to take an invisible God and reveal Him in visible ways. It's to take the intangible reality of God and manifest Him in tangible, visible ways. Now you say, oh, we don't need that. You know, we've, we've got the Bible and we walk not by sight, but, but by faith. And that's true. But the same Spirit that inspired the Bible, which is perfect, also gives gifts to His people to sustain and build them. And we weigh them under the perfect Bible. Some people say, well, you know, the Bible is, is finished, it's the canon, it's complete. And once the perfect comes, the imperfect things like the gifts pass away. But this same Apostle Paul says this to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 7, he says, you are not lacking any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you until the end. Hear me out here. You are not lacking any spiritual gift while you wait for the appearing of Jesus who will sustain you to the end. In other words, the spiritual gifts, even though we have the perfection of Scripture, we don't have the perfection of the church yet. And the church is still being perfected and being sustained and will be until Christ comes. And Paul says, you will not lack any spiritual gift until the appearing of Jesus. In other words, the spiritual gifts are not an optional extra that the church needed while the canon of Scripture was being established, it's actually still needed now, even with the, the perf perfection of Scripture. So all of you get something. And it's a visible sign of the invisible God. You know, we were in the UK recently, 
and we were in a meeting and we were praying for healing and there was a word of knowledge. That's what it says here, a word of knowledge, which is kind of information you would have about a person that you didn't have any actual knowledge about. So the Spirit just gives you like something dropped into someone's heart who was praying there and says, I believe that there's someone here with like really bad back pain. And I'm a little bit like, oh my gosh, well, that's like shooting fish in a barrel. You know, it was like a lot of people there, quite old people, quite a lot of elderly people. Like as you get to 50, like who doesn't have back pain? You know what I'm saying? So I'm being a little bit like cynical. And anyway, few people come up. This one lady comes up and they pray for her. Two days later, she gets up and she says, what you didn't know is I had a terrible car accident and I uh, had a bad operation and the pain has just got worse and worse and worse. And she said, as you prayed for me, I felt the, the pain start to subside. It's like, that is amazing. And then she said, the next day I looked in the mirror and I had a huge, big, long scar down my back and it started to disappear. You just go, what? What is that? She's like, it's half gone and my back pain is gone. Well, what do you do with that? It's the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And that doesn't necessarily happen every time we pray, but I'm just so glad for that person that got up and said, I have a word of knowledge and we were willing to pray and God did an amazing thing. The invisible God made manifest visibly for the common good. And then this word common good, for the common good. I think very often, you who have sat in church and heard about the spiritual gifts, you immediately think kind of, well, what's my ministry? Like, what's my thing? You almost think of it like a personality thing. It's like, what's my thing? What's my Enneagram number? What's my gift number? And I just want you to like, just chill out with that stuff, please. Chill out. Because at the end of this passage, it does say, and God appoints apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, administrators, working with, there does seem to be a calling that is more of a lifelong calling but actually the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good is not the same as that. That is a momentary gift that you might get one off that you never get again. Why? Just because someone needs it. Let me give you an example. My friend Mike Duggins is an outstanding administrator. So whatever he does, he administrates it just amazingly, right? So he's speaking to me yesterday. He's like, okay, the spiritual gift of administration, that's great. Talk about that because I'm called to that. I'm like, absolutely, Mike. But do you realize that while you administrate, which is your long-time calling, you can ask God for the spiritual gift of prophecy. It's not like, well, I'm the administrator, so someone else freaky can prophesy. It's like, what if administrators did it more prophetically? Or I can say, man, I have a calling to teach the Word of God. What if I did it asking the Holy Spirit for more discernment of spirits, to be able to read the room for a stronger gift of faith? It's not my calling, but in the moment, it actually empowers the calling. It's almost like, let's say God is like the plumber and you are the apprentice. And you're just the kippy, the apprentice with no tools yourself. And, and so you're there and you've got to fix a toilet and you just say, hey, Mr. Plumber, would you mind if I reach in and grab a wrench because that's what is needed for the common good right now. 
And the plumber says, yeah, go, here we go, there we go. It's not yours, you have to give it back. But actually in that moment for the common good, you needed a wrench and you got it. And so actually all of the people of God can access all of the gifts by faith for a moment. They're not necessarily possessive for all time. And I think when that happens, we go, okay, I'm trying to figure out my calling, but Lord, even when I figure out my calling, I'm still gonna need to reach into the box of tools. The spiritual gifts are tools for a task. So Julia, who we prayed for, has a calling to go and teach kids the gospel in Japan as she plants a church with others. That's a calling. I mean, she has been preparing for that for years. And we set her apart. God's appointed her to do that. But Julia, as you go, I'm trusting that you would go, God, won't you give me a gift of faith for miracles? Because that's gonna help my calling hugely. So can we just see there's a connection between what my calling is and what actually an empowering is? You can access all of those gifts if it's for the common good. And you don't have to be an expert at them. You can have your learner plates on. In fact, we all have our learner plates on. And having your learner plates on doesn't make you a loser. I think one of the kind of cautions with the spiritual gifts is that we've been disappointed. And so someone's prophesied over us and that thing hasn't come to pass. Or someone's prayed for us or we've prayed for someone else and they haven't got healed. And you're like, well, that didn't work. So I'm just never gonna do that again. And I just wanna say, that's kind of weird. I have empathy because I, I live with some unanswered prayers and some disappointment, etc. But it's kind of weird that we would expect it to be absolutely 100%, otherwise we're not doing it. I wanna ask you, did Paul, the apostle, have the gift of healing? Trick question, did he? Did he? I mean, I would say yes and no, because certainly people got healed. I mean, they even got raised from the dead under Paul. Paul never called himself Paul the healer. He called himself Paul the apostle. That was his calling. That's what he was appointed to do. But he saw healing, but not 100%. I mean, there was this one time when he preached so long and so boring that a guy sitting in the window, young boy, fell out the window and fell down and died. I might've preached over time a little bit, but no one's, no one's died yet, it's good. And I can imagine at that point, Paul was like, whether I'm an apostle or not, Mr. Plummer, I'm reaching out by faith for a gift of miracles because this guy's dead and I, don't, I wanna be invited back to preach. And he prays and God raised him from the dead. But there was a number of occasions where Paul, both in his own life and in other people's lives, prayed and people didn't get healed. In fact, he says, I left Trophimus in Miletus because he was sick. What do you do with that? I bet you Paul prayed. He prayed about himself. Lord, let this thorn in the flesh be taken from me. Most people say it was his eyesight. Didn't happen. He says to Timothy, his promising apprentice, hey buddy, stop drinking water and take some wine for your stomach. I'm not about to get into alcohol and all that stuff, but I'm just saying he told him to take some wine for his stomach. That was ointment in those days. Don't you come to me and say, Alan said I must take wine as ointment. But actually, I mean, you don't think he prayed for Timothy? 
But that didn't stop Paul from reaching out by faith into the, into the toolbox and say, this is not 100%. In other words, Paul didn't possess the gift. He just switches it on. Every time you reach out by faith and we don't live in a 100% world. But I've never heard an evangelist stand up and say, you know what? I stood up and preached the gospel and only three people got saved. I'm never preaching the gospel again because it's only 100%. No, it's not 100%. They never do that. It's just like every person that gets saved, that's awesome. Well, what about prophecy? What about healing? What about tongues and interpretation? It doesn't have to be 100%. That's why the Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5, don't despise prophecy. Don't put out the Spirit's fire. Test everything. We test everything in the Word of God. It's not 100%. I, I live with mystery. You live with mystery. I remember probably 10 years ago, praying right there for a, a young 10-year-old girl called Taylor. And she had leukemia. They'd done everything. The doctors sent her home to die. And her parents came. And we prayed for her. And then the couple moved state. But I heard a couple years later, she's healed. God healed her. It was amazing. And every few years, they will send back a photo. Now Taylor's 21. This is Taylor graduating. This is Taylor at 21st. I'm just like, Jesus, you heal cancer. It's amazing. But we've also prayed for other people who had cancer and they didn't get healed and they died. And they're people that we really loved. And so I get it. God gets it. It can rock us onto the back foot. But we're in good company with the Apostle Paul who didn't see everyone healed. So we live with mystery, we live with a sense of there is suffering in this world, but we're not gonna stop trusting for the Spirit of God to break through into this world, push back darkness and bring the kingdom of God, amen? amen. But we live with unanswered prayer, delayed prayer, and sometimes God sovereignly choosing not to heal. That's okay, that's okay. So we ask by faith, what is needed for the common good? What is needed for the common good? And then if nothing amazing happens, you know what? No one died and people get loved in the process. I wanna say when you bring a word of encouragement or a prophetic word or a word of knowledge or you pray and someone doesn't get healed, even if that word, I spoke to a guy after 8.30 this morning, good guy, guys, a guy called Brent, football coach. And he said, I had a word of knowledge about someone who was blind in their left eye. It was a student at Biola. And I was like, yeah. this guy comes up, he says, it's me, blind in my left eye, never met him before. It's like, yes, God, you spoke, so I pray. And nothing happens. And we look at each other. And he looks at me only through one eye and he can't see through the other. And I felt so bad that I'd got his hopes up. It was terrible. And then he said, but you know what the guy said? I felt really loved in the process and I felt seen. I wanna say, that's good. And maybe God does heal him in time, but actually don't let disappointment hold you back. So I'm gonna land with team culture. If everyone gets to play, What's the culture of this team? How do we do this thing in a healthy way? Healthy way. Uh, three things. First, 
Let's have eager desire. Let's have eager desire for the gift of the Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul says, verse 31 of this passage, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. Some of you have been taught that the more excellent way is love. So we started with the gifts and then we move on to love. And I wanna say that's bad biblical exegesis. Paul actually says in this chapter, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and pursue love. And the excellent way is not moving from gifts to love, it's moving from gifts without love to gifts with love. Paul never said they should, they should stop the gifts. This was an unloving gifted church. And he was saying the more excellent way is to be a loving gifted church. You tracking with me? Don't let people say, oh, there's, there's a more excellent way. He never said that. He actually said, until Christ returns, you lack no unspiritual gift. And so we eagerly desire. Some of you have been taught, well, okay, I mean, there's kind of a freak show out there. So just be like cautiously open to the gifts because we don't want to get into the freak show, do we? And I just want to say that's not biblical. I understand if you've seen the freak show and you've been disappointed and you've been hurt and you're cautious, that's absolutely fine. But to say, well, I'm a charismatic, but with a seatbelt on, so I'm never going to step out. No, what does eager desire mean? Eager desire means I'm on the front foot. I'm, I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm stepping out of the boat like Peter. I'm not sitting in the boat. Imagine if you applied that to love. You know, it says, eagerly desire the gift and pursue love. Imagine if Ronell came and said like, hey, do you love me? And I was like, yeah, but with the seatbelt on. You know, I, I'm cautiously open to loving you. Like, that's just an insult. If you're married, it is. I mean, some of you should be cautiously open with a seatbelt on. <laughs> I'm looking right here. But where it comes to, to, to the gifts, the Bible says, no, 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 don't, don't have a seatbelt on. And if you're gonna have a seatbelt, let it be love, not be conservatism. No, eagerly desire, but living with, with mystery. Live with the mystery that it's not 100%, that we live between the resurrection of Christ and the return of Christ, and there will always be sickness, and there will be sadness, and there will be death until Christ comes. So live with that mystery but actually trust that the kingdom comes. Secondly, freedom with discernment. And by this, I mean, we do not chase charismatic phenomena. And we do not chase emotionalism, but neither do we resist it. We've got different cultures here and different church backgrounds. I grew up in Africa and in Africa, I mean, if someone dies, you cry loudly for days. That's just respectful. And if someone gets married, you ululate with joy. And if you don't, it's disrespectful. Now, I realize there are other cultures that are much more like, no, no, just keep it calm, you know? The Brits, keep calm and carry on, you know? or the Germans or whatever, you know? And then we are very cynical towards any outward display of emotion or even more cynical about anyone who, who, who cries or shakes or falls down. And we're just like, well, that can't be God. 
And I just wanna say, it doesn't have to be God, but it can. In fact, if you look through scripture at when people encountered God, there was emotion and there was manifestation. I mean, for heaven's sake, where the Spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost, the people, the city thought they were drunk. In other words, they were rowdy. They were raucous. They were courageous, liquid courage. And Peter had to say, hey, these people aren't drunk. They're just filled with the Spirit. We don't chase after that stuff, but neither are we resistant to it. Please, if you like the moment someone laughs as they fill with the Spirit, or the moment they cry or shake, you just go, oh, I'm so freaked out by that. I just wanna ask why. Is it your culture or is it the Bible? Because the Bible is not freaked out by that. The Bible actually just says, just weigh it. Weigh it with the Word of God. Don't put out the Spirit's fire, but hold fast to what is good and reject what is evil. That doesn't mean that anyone who is manifesting in that way is spiritual. It doesn't. I mean, look at the Corinthians. We have some people that when the Spirit comes on them, like you can see it on their body, like they start to shake and shiver. Mandy looks like she's been punched in the solar plexus. She kind of goes, like this. And the first time she did it, it was like, Mandy, can I get you a glass of water for those hiccups, you know? What is that? And she's like, no, 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 that's just what happens when the Spirit comes. Let's never copy her, but let's also not be freaked out by that. It's okay. If you look at people encountering the living God through the scriptures, they did all manner of things. Shake, fall to their knees, fall flat on the, on the floor. So we don't chase that stuff, but we, neither do we resist it. I can already feel some of you getting freaked out. And I just... I just wanna say, like, we've got grace in the ch this church for you to kind of wade in slowly and grace for you to ask questions. I know some of us have, have seen some stuff where it gets out of control. And I just wanna say, I think we are about a thousand miles from there. We really are. Some of you need to travel with me and go, <laughs> I'll show you out of control. <laughs> and you come back to California, it's just so chilled, man just so chilled and I just want to say there's a little bit more even though we don't chase it do you believe me <laughs> oh gosh finally let's be supernatural but natural so we're going to practice now praying for one another it's not gonna be the elders at the front. It's not gonna be the prayer team on the side. We're for that, but for now, it's like everyone gets to play. So, so Joel's actually gonna lead us through that, but I wanna give you some really practical hints as we do that. Firstly, when you pray for someone, don't pray too long. And, and don't use words or a tone of voice. Like if you have to change the tone of voice, oh Lord, I just pray yeah, that this person, like, like, that, like God can't do anything powerful with you saying, Jesus, uh. I'm just like, uh, I know there's some powerful people that say that, but just you be you. And it'll actually be much better for people to go, oh, this person hasn't lost their ever loving mind. I encourage you to keep your eyes open when you pray. You know, God doesn't hear you more if you close your eyes. It helps you to concentrate, but actually, when you pray for a person, 
Ask them, can I pray for you? Secondly, ask them, do you mind if I put my hand on your shoulder? And if they say no, and feel free to say no, just respect their space. God, can, We believe in the laying on of hands, but God can meet them without laying on of hands. Do you believe it? He really can. And so respect that. I find it easier to pray laying on of hands because I understand like I've drunk from the Spirit and now I'm like a conduit. People are drinking from the Spirit, but actually somehow God is working through me, communicating His presence. I don't know how, but that's why laying on of hands happens in Scripture. But then keep your eyes open and actually watch. Don't feel like you have to fill the space with a long best prayer. I pray short prayers with long interjections of silence. Well, you just wait and you watch. And sometimes a person gets goosebumps and you can see it. And sometimes their eyelids start to flicker, flutter, and and you can see it. Sometimes they start to weep or, or laugh. Other times they start to kind of sway like a weeping willow. Please never push them. But actually like that stuff happens. And also sometimes there's zero visible on the outside, but even when you, I don't see it, you're working. I mean, often God is working invisibly, amen? But don't be closed to visible manifestations. And sometimes, you know, something will happen in a person and actually there will be a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan and, and there will be some, something violent happening. Keep your eyes open. I've been punched before with my eyes closed. Now, now I've freaked you out. <laughs> but, but, but keep your eyes open because when the Spirit of God comes, I mean, come on, have you ever watched a lion? Have you ever seen a lion in a safari park? You're just like, oh my gosh. I mean, to see a lion and you're just like, well, well don't do anything on the outside. Don't, don't laugh, don't cry, don't do anything. No, I mean, when you see something majestic, something in your body and your emotions does something, how much more the living God? And so keep your eyes open and then stop for a moment and say, hey, how are you doing? And if you've been prayed for and you're like, I'm feeling nothing, say it, it's okay. But if you're going like, yeah, yeah, I'm feeling this. Can you pray into this? Or otherwise say, that really made sense what you prayed. But that picture that you brought, can you explain it a little bit more? Because you might bring a verse or you might bring a word or there might be a picture that, that pops into your head and the person isn't getting it. So stop, ask, how are you doing? Have a little interview. Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room. He's fine with that. And then you get back to praying. Have a conversation together. Supernaturally natural. All right, Joel, won't you come up? Won't you stand with me? I'm not gonna do a big kind of conclusion with an altar call because we wanna play. So won't you just posture yourself If it helps you, palms open. You don't have to do this, but this is one way that I posture myself just going, Holy Spirit, I I need you. I, I need to receive you. And just think of this promise. You all have one Spirit to drink. But each one of you are also dispensers of the Spirit. Different shapes, different colors, different sizes. And so Holy Spirit, We thank you for Jesus who said, if you believe in me, if you're thirsty, rivers of living water will come. And so we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come and 
pour yourself out with gifts. Not just gifts for us, but we want to be water dispensers of life. Gifts for others. Give us courage, like Peter, to get out of the boat, to walk across the room. Lord, we thank you that there is room for, to play. And we pray that you would refresh every person here. In Jesus' name, amen.